This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. You know the scene from Dickens' A Christmas Carol when the Cratchit family is celebrating Christmas Day with such great joy, even though they have so little. There are no gifts. We don't see any stockings. There are no presents. Don't see any tree. The things that we might think of as Christmas, just a simple meal and a celebration that meant something very special to them. I'm struck by, by that every time I watch it, and I, I make sure I watch this movie every Christmas at least a time or two. I love this film. Uh, but I'm struck every time because in me there is this argument that goes on, and it sounds something like this. How can they be so happy? How can they be so joyful with such a, a puny bird and, and some plum pudding, whatever that is, you know? I'd be saying if it was me, hey, where's that monster screen TV that I asked for? You call this Christmas? And that's within me and, and maybe within you as well. It's part of our human nature. I believe that Christ wants to transform in us. And it's been passed down to me as it has been to you from our ancient ancestors, a couple by the name of Adam and Eve, who, if you know their story, their downfall was that they obsessed over one thing, just one thing that they wanted, but were told they could not have. There they were in the Garden of Eden where God had made everything for them. Everything that they needed, everything they could desire was there for them, and it was all perfect. Everything they needed to be happy, everything they needed to be healthy was there in the garden at their disposal. But God, in order to test their love for him as their provider, placed this one thing in the center of the garden that they were told, don't touch. It's not for you. You can't have it. Have you ever really wanted something that you didn't have and you really didn't need, but you started to obsess about it? Just yesterday, uh, Gail and I were driving down the road and coming down 158 and stopped at one of the intersections there was a, a, a late model, new Chevy Camaro. And uh, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, I look at that car and I say, that is the baddest car on the road. And I, and I, and I think about that car and, and, and I, I just know this. I would be so cool driving that car <laughs> down the road on it. You know, I, I, you, some of you know I serve, I volunteer as a chaplain with the fire department. And, and, uh, and I would get a red one. And, uh, and I, would, I would put in the grill like the cops have. I would have flashing red lights in the grill. So whenever I went to a call, people would see me coming and say, that is the baddest chaplain on the beach. You know, they would, (laughs) they would, and you start obsessing on something like that. And suddenly every time you go for a drive down the road, you see one of those cars. Every time you turn on the television, there's a commercial for that car. You know, you, you can't seem to get away from it. And every time you see somebody driving one, you think they don't deserve it like I do. They don't look nearly as good as I would sitting in that car. And you find yourself, you know, driving and you pull into the Chevrolet dealership lot just to 
stop and get out and walk around one and look at it and open the door and smell that new car smell and sit in the seat. Where did that obsession come from? How do we get that? Well, it came from Adam and Eve. Another time something like that pops up in the Bible is when the nation of Israel were traveling from Egyptian slavery to the promised land. You know the story, I'll bet. And, and, and they had run out of food, and God provided them miraculously this food called manna that came down from heaven. When they woke up every morning, it was covering the ground. And, and it was all they needed, and it supplied their needs, and it was full of all the nutrients and vitamins, evidently proteins that they needed. This manna was, and, and, it, and it satisfied their, their hunger for a while. At first, they were very thankful for God's provision. They were hungry. They were starving. But remember the story after a while, after they'd been eating manna for a while, that tune began to change. And they said, you know what, uh, Moses, we want meat. We remember back in our days of slavery in Egypt, we had, we had fish and we had garlic and they named all the things that were on the menu back in the slave days in Egypt. They were not satisfied with the menu selection now that God had given them. Their needs were being met. Nobody was going hungry, yet they were beginning to obsess over something they could not have. They wanted more. They demanded more. And I wonder this morning, this morning's message is a little bit prophetic in nature. I'm going to ask some, some questions that are really going to kind of get and, and bother us a little bit today. But I wonder, are we really any different than the Israelites wanting more than manna? Are we any different from Adam and Eve who had everything they could imagine, but they had to have that one piece of fruit that God told them to stay? Are we any different We as Americans, and I'm assuming that most, if not all of us today, are are Americans, we are the wealthiest people in the world. Yet we obsess over the things that we don't have. We have this yearning for more and more and more. Most of you have probably flown uh, in a commercial airline before. You go and you have your seat and you sit in your seat and there in, in front of the back of the seat are, are pockets, kind of like what's in, the, in these chairs. And, and there are at least two magazines in those, in those pockets. One is the airline's own magazine, you know, and they have stories about places that they travel and things like that. They have crossword puzzles that keep me occupied. And, but they have another magazine in the pocket. It's called Sky Mall. Have you ever picked out a, picked up a Sky Mall magazine while you're flying and flipped through it? And you read through that magazine, you look at all the things that are in there, and there's so many stupid things in there, and you wonder, who in the world would buy this stuff? First of all, it's stuff nobody needs, but secondly, it's so way overpriced. And you look at that stuff, and you laugh, and you show the person, can you believe you, people want to buy stuff like this? And they have all kinds of stuff for your pets and all kinds of stuff for your feet. And, you know, they have all, all these things that, you know, you want. why? But evidently, people buy those things because the magazine is already, always there every time I fly. And not only that, I checked it out this week, but you can go to SkyMall.com, and you can buy their junk online. It's, it's amazing what's there. You know, you guys really impress your girlfriend when you, when, you, when you ask for Christmas for a Lord of the Rings $800 ring. That's really going to make her day when you say, that's what I want. And you can buy one at SkyMall.com. Um, how many of you, and this, this is kind of a, um, a feminine thing here, 
But how many of you ladies have ever just kind of been down and depressed and maybe things weren't going right in life and, 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 and one of your friends, well-intentioned friends, said to you, you know what you need to do? You already know the answer, right? Yeah, so you, it has happened. You know what you need to do? You need to go spend the day at the mall and go shopping and get yourself some new clothes and get yourself some new shoes, get yourself a new hairstyle. That's what you need. But is it really? Is that really going to meet the need of your heart? What do we spend stuff on in America? Let me give you some numbers here. Americans spend over seven billion with a B billion dollars a year on beauty products. Seven billion dollars a year on beauty. And you know what amazes me about that? I didn't know we were that ugly. Seven billion dollars a year on beauty products. We spend, here's one that really gets to me, we spend 41 billion dollars. I can't even wrap my mind around that kind of a figure. $41 billion a year on pet food. In 2003, and that's been a long time ago, seven years ago, Americans spend, that's you and me, that's everybody in this building, from the littlest one in the nursery to the oldest one in this room, on average as Americans in 2003, and I'm sure it fluctuates, but it's probably gone up with inflation since then. We spent in 2003, on average per person in this country, $835 on holiday spending, on average. The NFL apparel sales from Reebok. Reebok is a company that's been producing all that, you know, the NFL stuff, you know, that, that we wear our jerseys and our hats and our caps and, and all the kind of stuff we wear about our favorite NFL team. The NFL apparel sales from, from Reebok last year was worth as much as $500 million just to have some guy's name on the back of a shirt. In 2008, U.S. residents spent $7.2 billion on cosmetic surgery. Now, some of that's necessary, but you know what most of it is? It's not. $7.2 billion. Here's one that'll get you. In America, we spend $700 million a year on Starbucks. $700 million a year on Starbucks. Now, some of you are thinking, now I know where I need to start putting my investments. You know, I need to buy some stock in some of these things. In 2006, four years ago, Americans spent more money, $15 billion, on bottled water. That's more than we spent on iPods or movie tickets. $15 billion on something that we're already paying for that comes to our tap. $15 billion. That's in this country. We spend that kind of money on things that do we really, really need? These figures make me feel a little bit guilty. But we don't have to feel that way if we can begin to rethink some things. And the Bible says God's word helps our minds become renewed. I want to challenge you today and then the next few Sundays to rethink some things about Christmas. I'm going to look right now at uh, read a passage of Scripture. It's found in Luke Luke chapter 10, the first eight verses. I want you to follow along with me while I read this story from Jesus' life. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Now it says 70 others. He had 12 disciples. 
But now he's got more people following him, more people going everywhere he's going, hearing what he's teaching. And so he got 15 pairs of new disciples, 70 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He gave them some instructions and some things. Here's what he said. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among, among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, a traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the way. Where, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. That's just, an, how, what do you mean? Peace to you. You come up to a home and you knock on the door and you say, peace to you. And, and if the guy says, get lost, you just go and to the next house and try the same thing. Why? You're looking for a place to stay. Remain in the same house eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Now, Bonal, Jesus in his ministry has many more people following him as he traveled and taught than the original 12, probably hundreds and perhaps thousands. We know that sometimes the Bible says when he sat down and he taught, there were literally thousands of people that gathered uh, in, in those locations to hear him teach. And out of these disciples, and the word disciple means a learner, out of these disciples, he selected this group of 70 and paired them off. And they were to go out as his advance team, go to the towns where I haven't been yet, but where we are headed. And he told them, when you go and as you go, you're going to discover that the harvest those people who are waiting for me to come as Messiah, those people who are anxious to hear of who I am and see what I do and listen to my teaching and believe in me, the harvest, those people are ready to accept me and they're plenty. There's lots of them. However, he said, there are very few disciples who were ready to go and share the good news. So here's what I need you to do, guys. I need you to pray. We need more workers to go into the harvest. But then he also warned them. He said, but I want you to understand, I'm sending you out to dangerous duty. I'm sending you out as a sheep among wolves. Now, if you know anything about sheep and wolves, you know, they're, you know the, the wolf is the predator and the sheep is the prey. The sheep has no way to defend itself against wolves. Sheep don't fight back. Sheep just try to run. If they can't run, they get run down, they get eaten, they get destroyed. And that's how it works in nature. I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. Does that sound very safe and secure? And the answer is no. So what are you going to give us, Jesus, to, well, what's our only defense? What are you going to arm us with? And the answer is you're armed with your own vulnerability. It sounded a little bit frightening. And on top of that, he says, I don't want you to take any money with you. I don't want you to take an extra pair of shoes. I don't want you to take a backpack with extra clothes. You'll sleep in the homes where you're offered rooms. You'll eat meals in the homes of those who would welcome you. But I want you to understand, not everybody is going to be glad to see you. Go out and do Christ's work. Here's what I want you to do. From this story, there's some lessons we can learn about what it takes to do 
the work of God, what it takes you and me to do Christ's work. And you know what it is? You know, bottom line is this. What do I need to do the work of Christ in my life, in my family, in my community, in my church? You need one thing. We've been talking about it for 40 days. Guess what it is? I need his love. I need his love. You don't need things. You just need what God is doing through you. And here we are at Nagshead Church. We've just come through 40 days of studying and memorizing and learning about, hearing about, talking about the love of God, practicing the love of God, and how we're to spread it all around us. And we've talked about the fact that Jesus said when he was asked the question, what's the most important of the commandments? Jesus said, love God and love others, and that love is what matters most. But now we're in Christmas season. Does love matter most at Christmas? Kind of isn't it more, isn't real, don't gifts and decorations matter most? Some of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and, and confess your, this to anyone this morning, but some of you got up in the wee hours after midnight sometime Thursday night so you could get to the stores, so you could be there among the first on Black Friday, so you could get ready for Christmas. My hope is that, and some of us are already thinking about the Christmas shopping we're going to do. My hope, my prayer is that this message and a couple more that we're going to be doing the next few weeks are going to change your mind about some things. And you're going to go home and you're going to look at that pile of gifts that maybe you've already bought. Or you're going to look at that list that you already have. You're going to look at those receipts that you have and say, I've got to make some changes. Something's got to be different. Imagine with me, God the Father who witnessed with great paternal joy, the birth of his son in Bethlehem. Imagine what God must think as he looks down on us as a culture, as a, as a country, as a nation, as a people, as a church. Imagine what he must think about what Christmas has become. But I want you to imagine something else. I want you to imagine that you have a son who has been ultra-successful in his career. So successful, he is a multimillionaire. He's got everything that money could buy. He has, you know, he has a, a big house. He's got a second home at the beach. Wherever he travels, he flies first class. He eats out at the finest restaurants. He lacks in nothing. He has the nice skybox in the stadium. He's got it all. And then also imagine you have another child, you have a daughter, and she and her children live in a third world country. And they're growing up there and living there, and they have no clean water, they have no medicine, the clothes on their back is all they own, they sleep on dirt floors, they have no education, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. You have two extremes in children, one who has it all, one who has nothing. And on Thanksgiving Day, your, your son calls you up to wish you happy Thanksgiving and says, hey, Mom and Dad, did you, did you get the Thanksgiving ham I sent you? I hope you enjoyed that. And you have this conversation with them, and you realize, and he tells you about the trip he's getting ready to take. We're going, we're going to, and he names some exotic spot where he and his family are going to go and take their Christmas vacation and spend Christmas there, you know, and amongst the palm trees and the sun and the surf and so forth. And, and, and you kind of you have to stop and say something. Because in your mind, you're thinking of his sister and her kids 
who have absolutely nothing. And you know, he can do something about them. They, have, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. And what would you say in that conversation to, to your son about his sister, about your daughter, about your grandchildren? What would you say? What would you think of your son if he did not give out of his abundance so she could simply have the basics? What would you think of this son? Maybe you had a Christmas growing up, and and this will relate to you. Maybe it's this Christmas for you and your family. But do you remember perhaps that Christmas when a couple weeks before mom and dad sat you down and they they told you, you know, we're sorry, but Christmas isn't going to be very big this year? And you were really kind of confused. You thought, what, did Santa go bankrupt? What happened? We're sorry, but Christmas is not going to be very big this year. Maybe dad lost his job. Maybe there were huge medical bills to pay. Perhaps the car just broke down and they either had to make a major repair or, or, or buy another car. But something financially has happened. And they sat you down and they kind of prepped you for what you wouldn't see under the tree on Christmas morning. And what they really were trying to say to you was, hey, you know what? We just aren't going to be able to give to you this much what you expect compared to the years before. This year, we're just not going to be able to do it. And probably everybody has had that experience sometime growing up. And as I said, for a lot of people, that's this Christmas. What what I hope we learn this year and this Christmas is that sometimes we can give the simplest things that turn out to be the greatest things that don't cost us anything, yet bring others the greatest joy. After the last gathering, one of our one of our partners came up to me and he said, he said, Rick, he said that Christmas you described that was our Christmas last year. We didn't have anything. We were we were broke. We had no money to buy anything. He said so. He said, people, so what did you give your wife? He said, I bought her some flowers for Christmas. And he said, and I had some scrap material around the house from some jobs I had done in the past, some wood. And he said, I made for my nieces, I made them some jewelry boxes. And he said, I made gifts for people. He said, we didn't buy anything because we didn't have it to buy. He said, he said, our Christmas was wonderful. The simplest thing sometimes can bring others and yourself the greatest joy. What if this year for Christmas, instead of buying all the stuff, and by the way, now I raise my hand, I'm a grandfather. Grandparents, we are the worst at this. Okay? I mean, I was blown away when my kids were little and I saw what they got from their grandparents and I just went, ah. And now I am one. And I want to do the same thing, Adam and Eve, you know? What if this Christmas, instead of concentrating on all this stuff and buying all the stuff, you decided, hey, in our family this year for Christmas, we're going to love each other more? What if this Christmas, your family, my family, our connection group, our church, by turning away from the consumerism trap, realized we don't need more stuff? I've gotten to the place in life where every year, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I don't know. I don't need anything. I just, you know. What if we got to that place where 
We said we just don't need more stuff, but instead of stuff, we began to give ourselves away to those around us. What would it say to our friends and to our neighbors, the people we work with, when they ask you, hey, what did you give your kid for Christmas? And we responded with something like this. You know what? I gave my kid, I, 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 I took each one of my kids and I gave them with me a day totally devoted to them. And we went out, we ate burgers and McDonald's, and we took a walk from the beach on the beach picking up shells. And we had more fun on that day. They will always remember that day. And my family invited this elderly couple that lives down the street from us who couldn't get up with any family for Christmas. We had them come over to our house for Christmas dinner and played some board games with them, and we sang Christmas carols together. What if this year, in your family, in your household, what if this year, and maybe every year after, Christmas wasn't about the stuff? What if it was about me giving myself, us giving ourselves away? Now, I don't know your personal portfolio. And some of you are saying, I don't have one. I didn't, okay, I don't know your, what your status is and your financial situation. And it's really not any of my business, but I do know this. If you're an average American, a typical American, if we're a normal American crowd, a lot of you every Christmas, you go into debt. And you go into debt because you go out and you think, I've got to get all, all this stuff. And so you whip out one of these kind of cards and, and you buy everything on a piece of plastic because you don't have the money to pay for it. And you end up for a, sacrificing for the temporary joy on Christmas morning of watching kids open presents and play with things that they're going to forget about in a week or two. For the temporary joy of that, you sacrifice that for the, for the privilege and the joy of January getting that bill in the mail, and now I've got to pay off this debt. And you finally pay it off by about October of next year, and then you go back into debt again, and you keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And I know I'm describing some of this because I've been that way myself. And you say, it's Christmas, what else can I do? But what if you limited your spending? What if you refused to go into debt at Christmas? What if you took the money that you saved by not going into debt and you took some money that you saved and, and you took the savings instead of making Walmart or Target or Toys R Us a little richer, you gave it to help somebody like Tammy Stump build that orphanage in Nepal. And she's there right now. Advent Conspiracy, and we've been talking about it the last few weeks and encouraging you to visit their site. We're going to be talking about it more. We're not going to forget about it. We're going to keep telling you about it. It's about sacrificing. Some of you have been to other countries. I've been to several other countries, and I've been to several third world countries. I've seen the poorest of the poor on this planet. I've seen people who live in garbage dumps. I've seen it with my own eyes in South Africa. And whenever I go to a country like that, whenever I visit another country, it always causes me to come back and ask this question. God, why in the world, how in the world did I get chosen to be born an American? How in the world is it that I was born in the United States, the land of plenty, when most of the rest of creation lives on beans and rice? Could it be Christian, could it be that God 
is calling us as American Christians to take a yoke upon ourselves and be generous with what he's given us. Look with me at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Familiar passage, I'll bet to you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you. He wasn't leaving anybody out here. All of you, take my yoke and learn from me because I am humble, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we often quote that first verse, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. And it's about receiving rest from Jesus. And and we like that verse and that because especially when we get piled up with things and stressed out with things, we know I can give it to Jesus and he gives me rest. But please understand, you can't separate that verse, just that first part from the rest of the paragraph. And what he says is this, genuine rest in our souls comes to you and me as Christ followers when we wear a yoke. When a yoke is put upon us, he said, then you'll get this Rest. A yoke, what was that? It was the apparatus that was put on an oxen or a mule, a beast of burden so that it could be hooked up to a plow or pull a wagon. A yoke looks heavy and it looks burdensome, yet Jesus says here, his yoke, while it appears to be something we would back away from, he says, I want you to understand my yoke is light. My yoke is easy to bear. My yoke, if you put it on, will give you rest. And so many people, so many of us, some of you would confess this morning, the most stressful time in your life is the time between Thanksgiving Day and New Year's Day. And about the middle of December, you're saying, I can't wait for Christmas to be passed. Because it becomes so stressful. It becomes so stressful, why? Because it's all about stuff. And it's all about trying to please everybody else and get everybody what's on their list. Perhaps the great American distortion of following Christ, and we are Christ followers here, but please hear me because I think as I compare what we do in our culture to what Christians are doing in our other cultures, this has to be, there has to be some truth to this. The great American distortion, and we as Americans can be distorted about things. We like to think we've got all the answers and we know everything that's right. Perhaps the great American distortion of following Christ is that because salvation is free, costs you nothing for Jesus to be your Savior. Just believe. But because salvation is free and Jesus never asks us for anything costly to us for salvation, we think he's not going to ask us for anything costly to be his disciple. We live in a land of plenty. We're God's blessed people on earth. We've been blessed by God for whatever reason, above and beyond all the nations on this planet. And we worship God while sitting in comfortable seats in a temperature-controlled room. And to get here this morning, we drive our cars on paved roads and park on a concrete parking lot. We have indoor plumbing. You didn't have to step in any mud or manure to get here. There are no ruts, no puddles to walk through. And I'm not saying that because we do have the comforts that we have in, the, in this country, those, I'm not saying those things are bad or those evil. Those things are the result of God's blessing on us, and we should be thankful for them. In fact, we, they're blessings that we don't deserve. 
But I guess I have to ask the question, why, why do we deserve them? Are Christians in India or Guatemala or Haiti or Rwanda, are they less deserving than you and I of God's blessings? Of course, the answer is no. Makes me ask this question, you know, aren't we as Americans, are we not a little bit spoiled? If you've ever been to a country where the drinking water is not safe or where the roads were either unpaved or full of potholes or where only the wealthiest have automobiles and everyone else walks everywhere they go, where church buildings have no air conditioning, heck, they have no windows, just openings in the walls, and seating is on wooden benches, you soon discover how much we take for granted. Yet we continue to spoil ourselves, especially by somehow thinking that the best way to celebrate, celebrate the birth of Christ is to go all out in our spending and our gift-giving. Do we really think that's what God had in mind as Jesus lay in that manger in a stable? But isn't Rick, isn't it Christmas time, a time for giving? And the answer is absolutely yes. That's one of the joys of Christmas. Jesus himself said it's better to give than to receive. And there are some in this world, and I'm not one of them, and I don't agree with them, who have the philosophy that the role of government is to take from those who have and give it to those who have not. I don't think that's the answer. Most of us would disagree, I would think, with that kind of thinking. I knew, I know I do primarily because no one wants to have what they've earned taken away from them. But to give away what I've earned, give it away willingly, cheerfully, what we've been blessed with because we can and we want to, that's another thing. That's why we enjoy birthdays and we enjoy graduations and we enjoy weddings. We're not forced to give. If you get that invitation and you go, oh, no, that means i got to go out and get a gift, you don't need to participate because you feel like you're being taken from. That's not giving. We give as Christians out of a heart of caring, out of an act of cheerfulness, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, Paul said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't, and don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response to pressure. Why? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Now get this. Then, then you will always have everything you need and Plenty left over to share. You know why we don't have in this country plenty left over to share? It's because we're all in debt and we're all in debt for doing what? Buying things we don't need on credit. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Listen, because of that, their deeds will be remembered forever. Their deeds will be remembered forever. Back to the yoke that Jesus spoke about, this yoke that we're to bear. That yoke was made for you and is made for me by Christ, and it was made just for you, just for me. And part of that yoke we wear is part of following Christ, and part of following Christ has to be giving ourselves away, because that's what Jesus came to do. It's the greatest act of love, but there's a part of me 
And you, as we hear this, we're going to say, there's a part of, there's something going on inside of some of you right now. And here's what's happening inside your mind and inside your heart. You're saying, well, I can't do this because, and you fill in the blank. Because I've already asked my kids what they want for Christmas. Because I've already spent all this money. Because it's what's expected of me. You fill in your blank. But at the same time, you know there's another part of you inside that's going, but you know what? This is the right thing to do. I know within my heart that Christmas has become so material and I've been caught up in it. And, and, and deep within, I know I would like to carry this yoke that Jesus made for me. Doing what he did. Giving of himself. To get in on the Advent conspiracy, here's what I challenge you to do. You need to go to their website. We also have a table in the lobby with resources and stop by there on your way out. The website address is there. You can also go to Nags Head Church and you'll see it right there on the front page. You can click there and go to their website and sign up and say, we're going to do this. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And you'll see what others around the world are doing to, to reign in Christmas and make it truly a celebration of Christ. Brenda Callagher is one of our partners, and Brenda took this challenge last year. I want you to listen to Brenda tell her story. I'm Brenda Callagher. I first started attending Nags Head Church in 1996. Christmas is normally like trying to find all this stuff that my grandchildren want. I have no idea what it is. Um, it's, it's running around trying to get all this stuff done, cooking done, decorating done. Sometimes we go to my daughter's house, uh, get everybody together, but it's very chaotic. I enjoy my family. I enjoy getting this all together in one place. So last year, um, I came here for a service, the first Sunday in December, I think it was, and saw the film on the Advent Conspiracy, and it just sounded like the best idea in the world. So I went home, talked to my husband about it, and we decided that was something that we could do. And then after that, it spread. So my sister and her family signed on and then uh, friends. And so the next thing you know, it was just, it was, it was spreading. And so last year for Christmas, instead of my kids agonizing over what to give us that we don't need, they gave us uh, donations, one to the food pantry down here, one to Living Waters. We had a goat and chickens donated to World Vision from another friend. It was just an absolutely wonderful Christmas. The consensus was we're never going to go back to a commercialized, materialistic Christmas again. We're going to do this every year. So this year, um, my other sister and her family have uh, agreed to do this, and we've gotten them all excited about it. Just try it just in your house, husband and wife. Just try it with your grown siblings who don't need anything. We've not had anybody have a bad reaction to this. I'm, I have told literally everybody I could find about this. It's just the greatest project ever. You miss all these crowds in the stores. Um, you don't have all these mountains of presents to wrap. But the, the best thing is you get to focus on actually giving um, to somebody something that they need rather than just getting all this stuff that you have no need for anyway. Christmas is supposed to be about what God gave us in the, in the form of his son. It's not supposed to be about see how much money you can spend, how much debt you can get in. And we do things with this that honors Christ, that, um, that actually spreads his name throughout the world, it helps people who badly need help, which is what Jesus would do. 
Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. And that statement impresses, I think, on us the need that each one of us have, a need that we have to get involved in some sort of giving back, because if you'll picture it this way, regularly our hands need to be emptied so that we might be able to receive. I can't accept anything if my hands are full of stuff. Some of you this morning have been listening to this, and you're ready to say right now, I'm ready to give this a try this year. Kind of do as Brenda suggested. Start with my husband and I or my adult siblings and and start that way. But I'm ready to give this a try this year and see if Christmas doesn't take on a whole new meaning for me and my family. I wonder if God's speaking to you that way this morning. Will you just raise your hand and say, hey, we're going to give this a stab in my household. Anybody at all? Raise your hand. All right. Uh, Let me say to you parents of young children especially, there is no greater time in your calendar year to teach your children how to give, and what Christ is all about to, as Jesus said, learn from Christ than Christmas time. So let me encourage you, be sure you go to the Advent Conspiracy site. Be sure to get some great ideas. Stop by the table, the resource table, and check it out because next year I'd like to hear a whole bunch of stories from you who said last year we did this and it transformed our Christmas and we can't wait for Christmas to come again this year for totally different reasons perhaps than you've had in the past. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.